It was an unprecedented challenge to Russian President Vladimir Putin by fighters from the Wagner paramilitary group. What that leads to, um, again, we just don't know at this point. Analysts weigh in on the weekend's events and what it may mean for Russia moving forward. Uh, the fact that he got so far along the way before he, he was stopped, I think, and, and he met so little opposition along the way, I think it really tells us a lot about you know, who is willing to stand up in, in support of this regime. I think the biggest takeaway is that Russia is a bit more unstable than most analysts and uh, politicians recognized before this. Meanwhile, frontline Ukrainian fighters say that their fight with Russia hasn't subsided. Today is Monday, June 26th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening. I'm Steve Miller in Washington. The United States is focusing on supporting Ukraine after the Wagner mercenary group openly challenged Russian President Vladimir Putin. VOA's Veronica Baldarossi Iglesias starts us off on what some analysts think could be the result of Wagner's short-lived rebellion. A quiet Sunday in Russia's capital after Yevgeny Prigozhin, the leader of the Wagner mercenary group and his troops, ended a rebellion that had them moving toward Moscow. It's unclear what impact, if any, the armed challenge that ended with a deal reportedly mediated by Belarus will have on Russian President Vladimir Putin's rule. Prigozhin had become increasingly critical of Russian military leaders' handling of the war in Ukraine. Washington is watching closely, said Secretary of State Antony Blinken on ABC. Uh, the notion that this war, this aggression by Russia, uh, was being pursued under false pretenses. The notion that Ukraine or NATO somehow presented a threat to Russia that it had to deal with militarily. That's now much more out in the open than it's, uh, than it's been. What that leads to, um, again, we just don't know at this point. Supporting the Ukrainian forces will remain the focus of the United States, Blinken added. To the extent that uh, the Russians are distracted and divided, it may make their prosecution of the aggression against Ukraine more difficult. Uh, on the other hand, of course, when you have instability uh, of any kind in uh, a major country like Russia, um, uh, a major power, that is, that is cause for concern. After agreeing to not prosecute the Wagner rebels, Putin might have been able to limit the damage to his own reputation, says defense studies expert Marine Moran. It didn't come to a big bloodshed, so Putin knew exactly which buttons to push and uh, he managed to sort the situation behind the scenes. If as part of the deal, the Wagner chief is indeed in Belarus now, he could still play a role in the war against Ukraine. Retired General Richard Dennett, former chief of the general staff of the British Armed Forces, told Sky News. If he has gone to Belarus and has kept an effective fighting force around him, then he then presents a threat again to the Ukrainian flank uh, closest to Kyiv. In that context, Dennett advises the Ukrainian forces to remain vigilant. Veronica Valeras Iglesias, VOA News, Washington. Russia's three main news agencies, TASS, RIA, Novosti, and Interfax, all reported on Monday that the criminal case against mercenary leader Yevgeny Prigozhin remained open and that the investigation was continuing. 
Russian President Vladimir Putin issued via the Kremlin website his first statement since the armed mutiny by the Wagner Group, congratulating participants of an industrial forum. It wasn't immediately clear when or where Putin's statement was recorded. Putin made a national address to the Russian people on Saturday, condemning the mutiny by the Wagner mercenaries as a stab in the back. He has not commented publicly on the subsequent deal. And in an 11-minute audio message released on the Telegram messaging app on Monday, Prigozhin said that his one-day mutiny had been intended to register a protest at what he termed the ineffectual conduct of the war in Ukraine and not to overthrow the government of Moscow. Russian state television also showed on Monday a video of Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu visiting with troops in his first public appearance since the brief rebellion by Prigozhin and his forces. From the Associated Press, Charles de la Desma is up next. Shoigu was shown inspecting troops in Ukraine in images aimed at projecting a sense of order after a weekend that saw armed rebels seize a Russian city and march seemingly unopposed on the capital. Shoigu is one of three powerful Russian leaders whose diverging interests led to the Wagner Group rebellion. He's the first to be seen since then. The mutinies marked the biggest challenge to President Vladimir Putin in more than 20 years of rule. Neither Wagner Group Chief Yevgeny Prigozhin nor General Staff Chief Valery Gerasimov has been seen or heard in public since the weekend. I'm Charles Dilladesma. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg spoke to reporters on Monday following the aborted mutiny by the Wagner Mercenary Group. The events over the weekend are an internal Russian matter. And yet another demonstration of the big strategic mistake uh, that President Putin made uh, with his legal, uh, annexation, uh, or his legal annexation of Crimea and the war against uh, Ukraine. As Russia continues its assault, it is even more important to continue our support to Ukraine. Joining us from London is VOA's Henry Ridgewell. Henry, how are NATO and European leaders reacting to this past weekend's events? Very cautiously, I think, uh, very briefly. Uh, the NATO alliance uh, is, of course, a strong backer of Ukraine in its war against Russia. Uh, and some commentators here have been quick to speak of whether the failed mutiny in Russia might create opportunities for Ukraine, urging Ukraine to intensify its counteroffensive that we've seen develop over recent weeks. But what we saw from Jens Stoltenberg was a very cautious tone that Russia still remains uh, a very dangerous uh, foe for Ukraine and the West, uh, particularly with its nuclear saber rattling. It's still got huge amounts of forces and hardware in Ukraine and continues to hold ground uh, there. And he said it is vital at this moment that the West continues its political and practical support uh, for Ukraine. You know, we have heard from other commentators, for example, the former head of U.S. forces in Europe, uh, General Philip Breedlove, saying that there will be opportunities that emerge that Ukraine must take, but that that progress must be taken cautiously. So uh, a measured response from NATO. Uh, I think some other political leaders in Europe have been quicker to draw on, on the lessons that this might give us as to the stability of, of the Putin regime, saying that it reveals uh, the very deep cracks that a man, a president who can go on television one morning uh, calling the leader of the Wagner 
group Yevgeny Prigozhin, uh, a traitor who must be punished, who has stabbed Russia in the back. And then a few hours later, saying that all the charges have been dropped and he's free to go, reveals a man with a very weak hand and, and that the coming days and the coming weeks, there may be more developments in this story uh, as different groups uh, ally against each other within Moscow. And it's a real test of Putin's loyalty and whether the real power players in Moscow are prepared to continue to back him. Speaking of aid, Henry, I want to ask you about Hungary, because on Monday it announced it was withholding support for some $550 million in the latest tranche of support for a fund that Europe can use to better protect itself. Uh, How significant is this? It is significant because it's holding up uh, the disbursement of that money to Ukraine. Uh, European finance ministers will meet today to top up that fund. It's called the, the EPF, the European Peace Fund. It was conceived well before the war in Ukraine, and it's aimed at uh, being a a pool of money that European Union member states can call upon to top up their ammunition, their stocks uh, as it's needed. Uh, And the European Union historically has never been really involved in conflict and defense, of course. That's been left to NATO largely. Now, with the war in Ukraine, the EU has emerged as one of the main financial backers of Ukraine's military, certainly, and individual countries are giving different types of weapons. And so that pot of money has been depleted uh, significantly. Now, the finance minister will be looking to top up Uh, That to the tune of around two and a half billion dollars this week as they meet in Luxembourg. Uh, But as you say, Hungary is blocking the previous tranche uh, of roughly five hundred and fifty million dollars. And presumably uh, no future disbursements can be made until that problem has been overcome. Now, Hungary has frequently taken this position in European decisions. In this case, it appears to be because Ukraine has sanctioned a Hungarian bank, which it accuses of uh, financing Russia and its war on Ukraine. Uh, and therefore, Hungary uh, is blocking the unanimous, it has to be a unanimous agreement on this money. So uh, clearly, European leaders, they meet for a summit uh, later this week in Brussels. They will be seeking to bring Hungary alongside to persuade them to vote Uh, and to disperse this money, which is desperately needed, of course, by the Ukrainian military. Whether and how they can do that, uh, whether through uh, persuasion or perhaps some other money that can be uh, given to Hungary to persuade them to vote in line, uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. Henry Ridgewell in London. Ginny Mathers is an international politics professor at Aberystwyth University in Wales, and she tells VOA that the weekend's events not only revealed weaknesses in Putin's government, but also in his ability to persuade everyone that he's in control of events. The very fact that this private military company, which was created effectively as a tool of the state, developed a life of its own and and its its head decided that he had a particular ambitious and grievances and, and he acted on them. Uh, the fact that he got so far along the way before he, he was stopped, I think, and, and he met so little opposition along the way. I think it really tells us a lot about, you know, who is willing to stand up in, in support of this regime. Um, you know, where were the cries of, of outrage and shock? Uh, we, didn't, we didn't really see those. Um, where were the, the cries of support for, for Putin and, and what he stands for? We didn't see much of those either. And the military, to a large extent, really sort of stepped back 
uh, which is what they tend to do in, in these times of sort of political crisis. So, you know, it, it exposed a lot of, of weaknesses and fragilities in the system, I guess, would be one one takeaway, clearly. Um, secondly, it really raises a lot of questions about then how Putin can pretend that business as usual is restored. Meanwhile, Craig Albert, the graduate director of the Master of Arts in Intelligence and Security Studies at Augusta University in Georgia, adds, I think the biggest takeaway is that Russia is a bit more unstable than most analysts and uh, politicians recognized before this, uh, and that it might be easier to to overturn the regime in Russia than previously thought. I mean, Prigozhin's mercenary group got within 200 kilometers of Moscow without much resistance. Officials continue to watch Russia, waiting to see if there will be any potential political fallout for Putin. For what we understand in political science and security studies is that an authoritarian leader tends to stay in power by two forms, by two means, by fear in the population and control of the top leadership politicians and oligarchs. So Putin has made quite a lot of enemies by throwing oligarchs and uh, opposition leaders in prison. But now there might be a little less fear of Putin in some of these groups. And so one way to overthrow an authoritarian regime from the inside is those folks oppose you. And this latest uh, uh, riot, rebellion, uh, whatever the proper terminology is right now from Prigozhin and Wagner, might show that there is a, a chance to grab power to challenge Putin, and he's at risk. And this is dangerous, actually, for a couple of reasons. The literature also suggests that when the authoritarian leaders see risk, they are more likely to strike out and to do something more provocative to reinstall fear. But Mather says that while Prigozhin did touch on some issues that may be a potential vulnerability for Putin, factions in the political opposition may not be able to act on the situation. Because most of the political factions have been disbanded or, or imprisoned or are abroad. So it's a much more subtle um, kind of a, of a potential level of opposition. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Steve Miller. As tensions soared inside Russia between the government and private military group Wagner, frontline Ukrainian fighters said that their fight with Russia hasn't subsided. VOA's Heather Murdoch continues our coverage. While many Ukrainians anxiously watched the recent chaos in Russia, hoping their foe would defeat or at least weaken itself, soldiers on the front lines battled on. They say there have been no observable changes in the field, and Russian forces continue to lob artillery at Ukrainians, who are now on the offensive. Here is Bogdan, a combat soldier in the battle zone. He says when Ukrainian forces are on the offensive, they fight Russians back with artillery at first, and then grenades. Like many soldiers fighting in Ukraine's weeks-old counteroffensive, he says he has overheard panicked Russian soldiers complaining about lack of ammunition and reinforcements. But soldiers also say the battles have been fierce, as Russian troops have had more than a year to build fortifications and devise strategies to hold this area. 
at a combat medical unit set up in what was a small grocery. Ivan, a medic, says Ukraine is moving forward, albeit slowly. Once a picturesque string of quaint villages, Ukraine's battle here is for what has become an abandoned wasteland. In more peaceful Ukrainian cities and towns, locals say they hope that Russian infighting will speed the end of this war, but it's hard to say if that will happen. What's obvious, they add, is that the death and destruction they have already suffered make it impossible for it to ever end all that happily. In a park in Zaporizhia City, 75-year-old Valentina Yefemenko says Ukraine can one day rebuild its towns and cities, but it cannot replace the lives it has lost. She says she wonders, in the end, how many will have died and how many will have been permanently injured. Besides more than a year of shelling, Zaporizhia has suffered from the destruction of the Kahovka Dam that killed dozens and turned this region's reservoir into a massive desert, leaving locals to try to stave off what is now a looming food and water crisis. But in the combat zone, soldiers say as battles rage on, it's impossible to look beyond what they say is their most immediate goal. This is Yuri, a combat soldier. He says their goal is to end the war and go home when their country is free and intact. He says for soldiers, the war will only end if or when Ukraine is victorious, which means for them, retaking all of the land internationally recognized as Ukraine. Heather Murdoch, VOA News, Storozheva, Ukraine. Ukrainian officials see the Wagner Group mercenaries' mutiny as a sign that Vladimir Putin's power is cracking. From Kyiv, Anna Chernikova joins us with a reaction from the Ukrainian capital. President Zelensky in his speech mentioned that this is definitely the demonstration of weakness of Russian, of Russia, of Russian authorities and weakness of President Putin uh, himself. He also mentioned that uh, the whole world uh, have seen that uh, Russia, Russian authorities have no control and there is chaos inside of the of the country. And this is probably uh, was uh, the main, um, this is probably the main message that we can hear from Ukrainian authorities. And actually in Ukraine, people had a lot of expectations that this might, uh, this actually might create certain changing point in the war. And uh, there were a lot of hopes that this would last Uh, not 24 hours, but longer, and that uh, Russian um, authorities will have to take uh, Russian, uh, some of, uh, some parts of Russian uh, military from the front line. Speaking of the front line, Anna, we just heard from Heather Murdoch, who returned from some front line positions. But what more can you share with us today as the fighting continues? Yeah, we can see the action uh, along the whole front line. So we can see that Ukrainian forces are trying to create this counteroffensive uh, operations, uh, sometimes very small operations, sometimes uh, bigger and wider operations. But they uh, are doing this uh, along the front line in different 
regions in different parts. So um, what we have as confirmed uh, information from the Ukrainian military officials that actually Ukrainian forces had certain success uh, in, in line um, in the border of the Parisian Donetsk region. Uh, it was confirmed that uh, some settlements were uh, liberated in that area. It might be that we will get some additional confirmation soon of some other advances because uh, this is what's uh, what's discussed um, uh, within the country uh, and also of course everyone is uh, is still waiting for active phase of the counteroffensive as president zelensky mentioned and also ukrainian uh, military uh, is mentioning that uh, it's still not uh, it's yet not the active anna chernikova reporting for us from kiev ukraine Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Paskov says that United Nations aid workers who wish to visit areas ravaged by the recent Kahovka Dam collapse in southern Ukraine can't do so because the fighting in the war makes it unsafe there. The United Nations on Sunday rebuked Moscow for allegedly denying aid workers access to Russian-occupied areas where residents are stranded amid devastating destruction. UN official Denise Brown said in a statement that her staff was engaged with both Kyiv and Moscow, which controlled different parts of the area in a bid to reach civilians in need. The civilians face a shortage of drinking water, food, as well as a lack of power. And finally, Australia will send an extra 70 vehicles to Ukraine in a new $74 million package of military assistance. Australia is one of the largest non-NATO contributors to Ukraine's efforts to repel the Russian invasion. Phil Mercer rounds us out. Australia will send 70 additional vehicles to boost Ukraine's war efforts against the February 2022 Russian invasion. The commitment includes armoured and special operations vehicles, trucks and trailers. Canberra will also send more artillery ammunition to Ukraine and contribute more than $6 million to the United Nations for its Ukrainian Humanitarian Fund for health services, shelter and clean water. The announcement Monday brings Australia's total contribution to Ukraine to $528 million. It's one of the largest non-NATO contributors to Ukraine. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese told reporters in Canberra that Australia is committed to supporting Kyiv's war efforts. This additional support will make a real difference, helping the Ukrainian people who continue to show great courage in the face of Russia's illegal, unprovoked and immoral war. It is sobering that 16 months on from Russia's invasion, its brutal conflict continues. The latest round of Australian aid doesn't, however, include Ukraine's key requests for assistance. A fleet of Australian-made Hawkeye light-armoured four-wheel drive patrol vehicles or additional Bushmaster armoured personnel carriers. Prime Minister Albanese also told reporters that the aborted mutiny by the Wagner private military group that shook Russia at the weekend showed that the invasion of Ukraine has been a disaster for Russian President Vladimir Putin. Also, the High Court of Australia has dismissed a bid by Russia to stop federal authorities from taking control of a site, at least for a new embassy in the capital, Canberra. 
The unsuccessful legal challenge followed Australia's decision earlier this month to block Moscow's plans to build a new diplomatic mission near the Australian Federal Parliament, citing unspecified national security concerns. The Kremlin had said previously that Australia's decision to block the construction of its new embassy in Canberra was yet another unfriendly action. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. And that'll do it for us today. Be sure to stay up to date with our continuing coverage on Ukraine, as well as news and events from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com, as well as on our social media platforms. Just be sure to follow VOA News. On behalf of the entire Flashpoint Ukraine team, thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Miller in Washington. Be well, be safe, and good night. Washington, bam, 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 zip, D.C.